Hello and welcome everybody to Katanya Taylor, um, katanyataylor.com. I'm Katanya Taylor. Welcome to our live series. This is our second live with uh, nutritionist Kathy N. King. And today we are going to be talking about GMOs and we're also going to touch on kids and nutrition and uh, sugar a little bit. If you were with us last week, we touched on the ketogenic diet as well as talking also about kids and what a lower carb, nutrient dense diet looks like in kids, um, sort of on the spectrum of a ketogenic diet, but basically just talking about what, you know, a non um, standard American diet looks like and in relation to a ketogenic paleo diet. So that's what we talked about last week. If you want to go back and revisit that, that is below in my Facebook feed here. But today we are once again with Kathy. And Kathy, for anyone who wasn't with us last week, please tell us a little bit about you are a nurse, but more recently a nutritional therapy practitioner. Will you tell us a little bit about your history and your background again? Yes, absolutely. And thank you so much, Katanya, for inviting me to be here again today. Um, you know, I, I'm very passionate about nutrition and always love to be able to share what I know with other people and and just improve our improve people's lives. And so, you know, my journey began many years ago when um, I was, you know, somebody that suffered with anxiety and depression, like back into my early teens. And I was always looking for natural ways to feel better. And, um, you know, fast forward a bit, I ended up going to nursing school because I knew that this was a degree that I could use that I could help other people. But what I found is when I got into that model, uh, that it was not a model that that actually resonated with me, um, what we're calling now corporate medicine. And so I found myself really kind of struggling a bit to find a niche, you might say. And since I had always been into nutrition and health, it made sense for me to transition over into that. And so after my, I had raised my children, I went back to school, studied nutritional therapy uh, with Nutritional Therapy Association, and now have been working in cancer nutrition. So that kind of brings you up to date a little bit. Great. Tell us a little bit about the Nutritional Therapy Association. What are they um, all about? They're they're loosely associated with the Weston A. Price, Weston a. Price Association, correct? Correct. Yeah. So uh, um, Nutritional Therapy Association, their headquarters is in Olympia, Washington, and they have uh, various uh, classes throughout the United States. And so at the time that I studied with nutritional therapy, I was living in Maine. And so we did our classes down in New York. But there are you know, you don't have to live in the Washington area in order to be able to attend their classes. They are throughout the United States and much of it is done online. Uh, but they're really essentially about, uh, farming foods and the healing arts. And this is a, this is a program which is geared more towards functional medicine. So what we did was we learned a lot about nutrition. We actually really delved deep into the science of nutrition. Uh, so I felt you know, it was great because it it actually really augmented what I had learned in nursing. But then at the same time, we were looking at more practical applications and learning a lot of different functional tests to really assess the different body organs. Because as you know, it's not just about, you know, it, it really is about the gut health. And so there are five pillars, basically. And the first one is uh, gut health. Mm -hmm. uh, the second one is blood sugar balancing and adrenals. And then we go into mineral balance. 
hydration, uh, vitamin and mineral balance, and then hydration. And so basically those five pillars, if we can assess health in those five aspects, it can, um, you know, basically bring balance to the individual and a lot of other things come into place. So um, I, I really, really highly recommend that program. And it was about 10 months long. So very, very doable for people who, who are working or have families. Um, very convenient and very doable. I think something happened to your microphone. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah. There was just okay. a funny noise and then you were kind of muted a little bit. Oh, okay. Great. Okay. So again, last week we talked um, about your work in cancer treatment with a ketogenic diet. And, um, and then we sort of went on to talking about what that looks like more in healthier, you know, people and children where you don't need to necessarily be totally ketogenic, but where we, both you and I generally promote sort of a lower, uh, lower carb, certainly lower processed carb um, way of eating where we're focusing on the real nutrient dense. Um, certainly there's animal, animal products involved in the, the, the way of thinking. Uh, my friend Laura just jumped on. Great to see you, Laura. Thanks for being here. Um, so Kathy, let's move on to our topic, our primary topic of the day. Um, and we had a lot of people mentioning this last time that we, and we even brought it up a little bit and just saying we just don't have time for that today. We're going to talk about GMOs today. And, um, you know, we're, in sort of a paleo type diet and a ketogenic type diet, sometimes this isn't as much of a problem because we're basically not eating a lot of these grains, certainly not the processed grains. Uh, certainly most people are trying to eat organically. Um, but for sure, GMO is a ubiquitous part of our environment. It's a ubiquitous part of our food system. It's virtually unavoidable. If you're going out to eat, if you're, you know, eating 90% of the food in the store has GMOs in it or, you know, residues or, you know, we even talk about there's GMO seeds and then the organic farmers are trying not to purchase the GMO seeds, but that they're carried by the air and they're cross pollinating with organic plants. So it really is a big problem that all of us do need to think about and address. I, I will admit that it's not a, a topic I really dive too deep into most just for myself and my family more because, um, you know, you sort of have to pick and choose what you're what you're worrying about, what you're thinking about on a daily basis. But the reason why I feel like I've covered that base is that we generally eat organically. Um, and like I said, are limiting our grains are, you know, we're not eating the 90% of the food stuff that's on the shelves of the grocery stores that are full of the GMO corn, et cetera. But, um, but again, it is something we really need to look at and there's some controversy around it. So I want to really get into that today. And um, why don't you, you know, I don't know where we should really start. I don't want to get too complicated. There is definitely a history with it. Um, let me just start off by saying GMO, genetically modified food, there is some controversy over the fact that, well, you know, we've been hybridizing and, um, you know, mixing different species or not different species, different, you know, genetics of plants probably since the, the dawn of agriculture. So 10,000 years. So there's that argument that we've been hybridizing and blending and mixing, you know, we've got pluots and we've got, you know, all sorts of different types of tomatoes and, you know, we would interbreed different um, genetics of, of animals. So that kind of stuff has been going on in the natural world. It does happen. And that is a, a certain amount of modification of gene modification that is fairly normal, or at least um, we are able to do it just by breeding or, you know, grafting and stuff like that. Um, but what's become the big issue 
is genetic modification that's been going on more in the past 20 years, 40 to 20, 20 to 40 years, that's really happening in a lab. And it's the intermingling of species genes. So not just within the tomatoes or not just within cows, not just within, you know, apricots and, and plums, but from, let's say, a bacteria into corn. So that's where it gets a little bit scarier. It's happening in a lab and it's a little bit, you know, much, much more scientific and scary and sort of Franken, Franken food like. And Mm -hmm. so let's talk about those primary things that are of concern today, because primarily there, there's not a lot of successful genetic modification that's on the market today. Um, They thought that they could make foods more uh, drought resistant. They thought that they could make them, um, you know, more being able to proliferate faster. A lot of this really fell through. It didn't really work. Um, Genetic modification is not a real simple. uh, It's just not very simple. It's not they have they haven't been very successful. So the two primary things that we're dealing with today on the market are uh, GMO genetically modified, primarily corn. that's called Roundup Ready. That is is genetically modified to tolerate glyphosate application. And the other one is called BT, which is a, you want to tell us what was that, the scientific name of BT toxin? Uh, Yeah. So I wrote it down because it is kind of hard to pronounce it. It's not always right there in my brain. Uh, But the B stands for bacillus and the T stands for uh, thuringensis, I think is how you say it. So bacillus thuringensis. And I know uh, Jeffrey Smith, who is, uh, been leading the way in this, uh, uh, you know, GMO craze. Uh, he says it quite nicely, <laughs> uh, but I, I usually have to go back and revisit it. But yeah, um, BT toxin. So what I, what I kind of like to do too is I like to start out and, and just review real quickly. What are the foods that, that we should be watching out for? And the, the primary ones we see are soy. And then it's the three C's, corn, cottonseed, and canola. And those can come in, you know, various forms. They can come through oils. They can come through food. Uh, they're often added to lots of, like you said, like processed grain type foods and things like that. So anytime you look at a package and it says canola, corn, cottonseed, or soybean oil, and it's not organic, it's genetically modified and you want to stay away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other uh, crops now, I believe, are, are corn. Uh, we've got sugar beets, um, crookneck squash, uh, pineapple from Hawaii, and um, trying to think if there's – I know there's another one. And then and also then you want to take a look at uh, dairy cows as well. So you want to make sure that dairy or any animal is not being fed a – genetically modified feed. So that's, you know, that's another way that they can penetrate into our food supply. But one of the real dangers that you just talked about is really um, this BT toxin, which uh, we have now a genetically altered corn that has been genetically altered to withstand um, the application of Roundup. And within Roundup contains a very highly uh, toxic chemical called glyphosate. Mm-hmm. And the scary thing about glyphosate is that it's water soluble. Mm-hmm. So when glyphosate is sprayed on a crop, 
you know, what sticks on the plant sticks on the plant, but what doesn't, you know, we'll, we'll get into our, our water supply and our groundwater. And they have literally found glyphosate almost on every corner of the planet. And it is like considered the most toxic chemical. California is actually has laws now that says that it is a carcinogen and, you know, not to be sprayed anywhere. Um, so, and, and there's been a lot of research also on glyphosate coming out of MIT. Uh, Stephanie Seneff has been doing lots of research on glyphosate and she's kind of leading the way in that research right now. Right. Yeah. So, so we've got the, the genetic modification that basically what, what happened was, um, you know, initially with some of these GM or, uh, yeah, genetically modified foods, the idea was if we could make the plant either able to withstand the tox, uh, the, the pesticide mm-hmm. or have it have an internal pesticide, we could actually reduce the use of pesticides. Now, the problem is that with any, you know, anytime we're using any kind of pesticide or any kind of bactericidal, herbicidal, pesticidal, um, those species, those animals, those, you know, biological species become eventually adapt, just like anything else. You know, we talk, we think about antibiotic resistance, everything in life, it's, we are meant to adapt and change and overcome whatever obstacles put in our way. And that's what's happened. So these, um, so we've, they've overcome, they've been able to adapt to the herbicides and pesticides and they, and we need more and more and more. So the, the really interesting thing with the BT toxin, that was the one, that was one that it used to be sprayed externally, but they found out, so this was Monsanto. They figured out a way to, in, to put it into the cell wall of the corn. So it's literally in every cell of corn and it is a systemic pesticide, which means that every cell in the corn now produces this, this pesticide, this toxin and the, and the little critters that eat the corn Literally, what happens is that they sort of explode from the inside out. It, it causes like leaky gut. It perforates their their colons and their intestines, and they die and they explode from the inside out. So the very scary thing about this is what the heck is it doing in us? Especially when corn is in nine, probably eighty to ninety percent of the food supply in some way, shape, or form. So that's BT toxin. That's really really scary. Um, and the problem with that is that they're still using you know, probably Roundup or whatever other pesticides because the plants are becoming immune to the BT toxin as well. So this is all escalating. Um, and like you say, the glyphosate ends up being in everything. It's water soluble. So it's in our water. It's in breast milk. It's in organic wine. It's in our, it's all everywhere. Even when we're not applying it, you know, even when uh, farmers are not applying it ends up in there because it's in the water now. So it's very scary. So, so then, then when we talk about the Roundup ready, um, corn, and uh, you might be able to specify with, for me on that. I'm not exactly sure which ones are Roundup Ready. I know for sure corn is. I think they're working on making soy Roundup Ready. But that means that the plant can withstand more and more and more application of glyphosate onto the plant without dying, but everything around it dies. So the yeah. problem here is that they're simply using more and more of the pesticide glyphosate because the bugs are getting resistant and so, in, so now the genetic modification in the corn is allowing Monsanto to use more pesticide. Yeah. So, you know, and, and they're also making the seed and they're making the pesticide. So when their seed fails, they sell more pesticides. So it's a complete win-win for them. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I just want to go back to one thing that you mentioned was when you talked about how when these insects start to eat the plant, what happens is that they eat the plant and the way they die is that their stomachs explode. Mm-hmm. So what we've been seeing in this country is just a, and especially as a nutritionist, I see this all the time and working in cancer treatment, we see it all the time. I would say that 99.9% of our patients have leaky gut. Mm-hmm. And then I would say even outside of the cancer world, I would say that my my honest guess would be that greater than 95% of the population has some degree of leaky gut. And why why is that a problem? So why is leaky gut a problem? It's a problem because our gut is actually where our immune system is, right? So mm-hmm. that's that's basically is hundred you know ninety percent of our immune system is in our gut, and um, so when you have an unhealthy gut, where you have a uh, your integrity of your cell walls within within your um, digestive system have holes in them, what happens is that anytime you eat a specific food, it can transfer over into your blood supply. And then what happens is that your, your, um, your body basically says for an invader, let's wage an attack. And so the next time you eat that food, you, you have an allergic response to it. And, and we're seeing so many, uh, huge increases in allergies, especially within children, allergies and asthma. And, um, so that's, that to me, that's the scary part is that we're seeing these increased, um, in, increase in, uh, the immune system response, people with, um, immune system problems, um, and then also allergies and, and other types of symptoms in children and, and everybody really. So that's where the, that's where the danger of this is. And, I think it was Hippocrates that said all illness begins in the gut. And that's just as true today as it was back when he said that. And so we, we, you know, that's why it's really, really important to know and to be a food detective and to make sure that the foods that you are choosing, you know, do not contain this toxin are do not have the genetic uh, modification and that you're going, we're working on really always trying to keep that gut healthy. So, Getting rid of GMOs out of the diet is probably one of the most impactful things that you can do. Um, right. You know, as much as you can. <laughs> right. And, you know, again, because it goes hand in hand so much with this escalating use of, of pesticides. So, um, you know, so you have the, the GMOs going into your gut, causing perforations. You've got the glyphosate going in right hand in hand with that. And there really have not been enough study there there's very little study on this they do animal studies that go that last for 90 days um and they've proven that 90 days is nowhere near long enough to to make this kind of determination in what it's doing to to us and there have not been any human studies so you know this is one of those things that just sort of a couple studies and they passed it and they're like oh it's perfectly safe and but we have gotten sicker and sicker and so I believe um, GMOs were introduced to the commercial use in about the mid-90s, about 1994. And, you know, we have seen skyrocketing rates of lots of diseases in the past 20 or 30 years. So to say it's just that, um, you know, we're not really sure. But the rates of celiac diagnosis, the rates of, um, you know, all sorts of ulcerative colitis and gut issues has really been on the rise in the past 20 years significantly, as well as everything else that, you know, 
these GMOs and, and of course glyphosate is, is very likely um, contributing. So eating organic, specifically corn, I just always think of like my gut perforating and bursting and my poor children, you know, um, with that BT toxin. So that's with corn. Uh, glyphosate is again, Roundup Ready corn as well as soy. One of the other things I wanted to mention with glyphosate. So wheat is not Roundup Ready. However, again, in about, I think it was in the late 90s, what Monsanto or one of those companies, I think Monsanto generally leads the charge on this, what they decided to do with their glyphosate, because of course they're always needing to find new markets, they went to wheat growers and they said, we have this new fantastic use for this, they called it a desiccant, which means it dry, it's a drying agent. Mm-hmm. It's glyphosate, but they are re, rebranded, you know, they rebranded it for this purpose. And they market it to wheat growers because what it does is it helps dry the wheat, basically kills the wheat. And by killing the wheat, you dry the kernel and it's, and you can mark, you can harvest it a couple days later. Whereas, you know, farmers, wheat farmers in the north or in wetter climates, they're really, they were really subject to the environment. So if the wheat gets wet or it rains or, you know, the temperature, they get a storm, they have to wait another certain amount of time before the wheat dries out again. A lot of times it'll mold and they'll, you know, they'll lose the whole harvest. So this was a way of controlling the drying process of the wheat kernels. And within 24 to 48 hours, they could, they could harvest the wheat. And so this is what's going on, has been going on for the past 20 years plus. Glyphosate has been applied to wheat. So while it's not, wheat is not genetically modified to withstand Roundup, this glyphosate is being used to prepare the wheat for harvest. And, you know, there's a lot of people saying that maybe this is a big trigger in uh, gluten sensitivity. You know, maybe it's not just the gluten, maybe it's the glyphosate on there um, and all sorts of, once again, all the gut issues. So that's a little off topic because it's not necessarily genetic modification. But again, I want to point out that glyphosate is going hand in hand with the genetic modification um, and they're being made by the same companies, these big, you know, biotech uh, chemical companies, Monsanto being the one we mostly know of. Um, So that really is the problem, you know, that the fact that it's going so scarily hand in hand with the pesticides, the runoff, the environmental destruction, um, you know, we haven't even touched on the whole theory of the bees, the colony collapse disorder, Many yep. people believe that's from glyphosate. Um, and glyphosate's been outlawed in most European countries. In fact, it's outlawed in much of the world except for our country. Yes, yes absolutely. Do I have an echo there? Say again? Do I have an echo there? No, you're okay. We're you're good. okay. Um, so I remember reading that actually back in the 1960s, there was a gentleman, um, I think his name was Clearfield, developed a uh, a type of weed. It was actually a genetically modified wheat. And he actually won a Nobel Prize for this wheat. And, and what its characteristic was is that basically it could, um, you could grow wheat that was like a foot high. And this type of wheat would grow much, much faster than our heritage grains and things like that. And so they were looking at ways to solve the world's you know, food shortages because we're, you know, we are, we're um, multiplying and growing as a species and they were worried about how they were going to feed the masses. And so this gentleman Clearfield came up with this Clearfield wheat and he won a Nobel prize. But again, this didn't get introduced into the marketplace until what you were saying in the uh, probably late eighties, early nineties. 
And that was actually when we did start to see a lot of the incidents. So then you have the gene- some of the genetic modification. And then on top of that, you have, um, you know, the glyphosate and the other problems. So um, it, it is, it is a big problem. It, it's really, I, you know, I almost, what I do on a regular basis is just basically get people off of wheat. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, that's the first, if anybody is having any kind of problems, gut dysfunction, anything, that's the first thing that I have them do is get off of the wheat, get off of the genetically modified um, grains that are out there. And right. Yeah, so maybe we can sort of segue. This might be good because we wanted to keep it to about 30 minutes today, but segue sort of quickly um, because of all these problems with wheat, uh, even if it's organic, you know, there's still problems with gluten. There's still problems with, um, you know, I don't know if that clear field wheat you're talking about, if there's uh, organic varieties of that. But, you know, wheat can be a really big problem regardless of the GMO, regardless of glyphosate. So wheat um, and then this scary, you know, bust your gut corn. So I generally... You know, if we're going to eat corn chips, they're certainly organic. But talking about kids and feeding kids and lowering blood sugar and lowering our risks of cancer and all the metabolic diseases and inflammation that come from elevated blood sugar, removing, you know, corn, wheat, um, certainly soy, I don't even really think about because we shouldn't be eating any soy. But removing these processed grains, I mean, corn is in everything. Corn is in all of our, you know, the basis of every cereal, you know, every um, every granola bar, every cereal, uh, um, high fructose corn syrup is in there in, in everything as well. Um, it's as an additive for sweetener. It's as an additive to make things um, sticky and, and, you know, gluey and all that. Like gluten's in everything, too, to make things sticky and stick together and all that. So um, I think two really big ways that we can talk about feeding our kids healthier if we talk about the removal of gluten or wheat products and the removal of corn, we're going to go a really long way into removing all these toxins as well as, you know, management of blood sugar and introducing some nutrient dense foods. Tell us, tell us what we, what do we replace our corn and our wheat with if we're taking those out of our kids diet? Why do our kids not need corn and wheat? Yeah. So, um, you know, gosh, there's so much that we could really (laughs) talk about here, but, um, what I will say is that one of the, the most highly glycemic foods, because you're talking about inflammation, is wheat. So they say in some instances, eating a candy bar versus eating a piece of wheat bread, that the wheat bread almost, you know, increases the blood sugar more than the candy bar would. And there's a great book out there, too, by uh, Dr. Davis called Wheat Belly. So that's that's a great one that our listeners could take a look at if you're interested in that as well. But um, you know, gosh, it, it's just there's what I typically do when I work with families is I try to get them off of the cereal grains, you know, try to try to transition them. And, of course, first starting with wheat, because that's the most toxic and then corn, um, getting them off of those, two, and then slowly starting to wean them off of a lot of these breakfast cereals. Then one of the dangers, not only with the breakfast cereals, with the especially if they're not organic is um, something we often don't talk about, and we could even talk about in another segment, is phytates. And mm-hmm. a lot of the uh, grains contain a substance in them called, called phytate. And, and basically the phytic acid um, inhibits the absorption of the nutrients from the grain. And so 
our ancestors actually used to, when they did start eating grains and, and things like that, they, they did something called, they would properly prepare these grains by soaking them, uh, sprouting them, fermenting them. And that's something that we don't do anymore. So we've got kind of a double whammy because we're eating these processed grains and, and, and they're containing this phytic acid that basically just renders the substance bio unavailable for our body and can contribute to a lot of uh, vitamin and mineral disruption in the body. And then, like we said, spike the blood sugar. So, yeah. Right. So yeah, again, these grains are you know, double, triple whammy, especially if you're getting, eating the non, the non-organic, you're getting the GMOs, you're getting the glyphosate, you're getting the phytic acid that it is blocking nutrient absorption of everything else. So not only are they nutrient like zero, like, like blank, they're actually taking nutrients away. They're requiring nutrients for us to detoxify and digest and, you know, binding nutrients from other things in that meal. Uh, so it's it's really a negative negative um, consequence when you're eating those types of improperly prepared, prepared grains, and that's not an easy thing. We're not pounding our grains and souring them for 72 hours anymore. You know, um, yeah, I do talk a lot about that in my cavity prevention program, and in general, when I talk about you know feeding healthy healthy families, is is cutting back on those grains, and then if you have to have your bread, um, sprouted grain bread is a good option. Um, sourdough is really, really hard. I've done a lot of research on sourdough and finding a real sourdough in the grocery store is virtually impossible. Um, so you making your own is an option. I've tried that and I end up with a brick, a really hard brick. <laughs> there are ever- times I've found like at the farmer's market, there's some great, uh, bread makers that, you know, some of the different farmer's markets that I've been to throughout the United States, um, you know, we've got a, we've definitely got a great, uh, bread maker up in Maine where, um, you know, he sources his grains from heritage grains. So there's a whole network of people where they can basically source these heritage grains and then they're, they're soaking them, they're sprouting them, fermenting them. They're making breads that are actually have bioavailable nutrients. And what I find is even though I'm gluten free and even though I don't really eat grains, I can eat that bread and. Mm-hmm you know, it, I, there's no consequence from it because right. again, it's being properly prepared and it's, it's much more nutrient dense. So yeah, it's, it's tricky to try to find um, really well-made bread. Right. I guess we have to go to Europe to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So just keeping even, even if you're going to do the sprouted grain or make it yourself, you know, keeping it to a, a minimum and um, feeding kids, you know, the healthy fats that they need, um, you know, breakfast can be really tough because it's, at least in this country, you know, breakfast for us is a bowl of cereal, a piece of toast and a glass of orange juice mm-hmm. and, and sugary yogurt and low fat milk. And I know we said this last time, but whenever you get defatted or low fat dairy, it is higher in sugar. When you reduce the fat, the sugar level goes up. And, you know, if you're buying high quality dairy, we want to get full. We want it full fat because we want those fats, but we also don't want that elevation in the sugar that ends up being in that dairy. So breakfasts are tough, and, you know, um, we can definitely go into this further in another series, but trying to remove those grains, replacing them with with full-fat, you know, low-sugar yogurts, full-fat milk. Um, and then, you know, one of my things I always tell patients and clients is rethink breakfast. Breakfast can be leftovers from dinner. It can be your soup from the day before. Um, one of my favorites is avocado, tomato, my kids eat sardines out of the can or, you know, a tuna. Um, 
you know, just on the plate, you've got the avocado and the tomato with some olive oil on there and maybe a few um, seed crackers or, you know, marisgon crackers or something like that. Maybe a little bit of sprouted grain bread with butter on it. Um, so breakfast, just that, that really is probably the toughest one, you know, get some of that eggs and bacon back in there and, exactly. uh, just the cereal. I, I love to make Swiss chard. I, I love to cut up bacon, fry that up, put the Swiss chard in and then just put an egg over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know how many kids are going to like that, but you know, we can, we can train our kids to, um, start to like these foods and, uh, yep. You just got to use some creativity for sure. Right. What kid doesn't like maybe eggs or less so, but what kid doesn't like bacon, you know, and just mm-hmm. looking for higher quality bacon, spending good, you know, spending your money on bacon, ideally getting it from a farmer. Um, but just watching the sugar. Generally, I say go to Whole Foods and get a bacon that you have to spend a little money on and you're going to you're going to get a pretty high quality bacon. You don't need to eat it every single day, but getting those healthy fats, some of those animal proteins, eggs, egg yolks are one of the most nutrient dense foods on the planet. And we need that saturated fat and that cholesterol from the, from egg yolks. And um, so the takeaway message today is watch the GMOs tr- go for organic whenever possible and cut back on the grains. Yes, absolutely. Avocados are good for breakfast too. They're wonderful. I love them. Yeah. And if your kids eat fish, you know, tuna fish or sardines mashed up or canned salmon, you know, making a little tuna salad um, with an avocado on the side. It's a great breakfast. So there are ways to do it. Um, So we didn't have too many people jump on today, but I think we'll probably have some more jump on tonight with some questions. So we'll be jumping back on here and answering your questions. And we are going to continue this series with Kathy, hopefully every week, if we can pull it off. If you have any suggestions on things you'd like us to talk about, um, any questions or specifics you want us to address, please either email me at askme at katanyataylor.com or Kathy, give me, give us your email address real quick. Sure. Uh, betterworldnutrition at gmail.com. Okay. And the other thing I was going to say too, there's, there was a great movie put out in 2012 called Genetic Roulette, The Gamble of Our Lives was put out by, uh, Institute for Responsible Technology, Jeffrey Smith. It's a great movie to watch, to learn so much more about our food supply, about this genetic modification. Um, it can be a little scary, <laughs> um, so prepare yourself, but really, really good information in there if you're wanting to learn more about this subject. Great. Thank you so much for being here again, Kathy. We'll talk next week again, and everyone jump on there with all your questions, and thanks for being here. Thanks, everybody. Okay. Bye, Kathy. All right. Bye-bye.